It is so good that we are a church that enjoys worshiping. Worshiping through songs like we sang this morning. Worshiping through times where we just trust in Him. Because as we do worship Him, we posture our heart to be able to hear and receive from Him, right? And to know that the truth that His presence is here and He can speak to us. And I believe uh, worship is, with song is a powerful way to somewhat dismantle our inhibitions, our walls that we put up, and to say, God, you just, this is, I want to meet with you. And time and time again, I've experienced him meeting with me when I yield that way. Because it's not about whether I like the song or I like the instrument that's playing, but I find when each Sunday, each time we gather, when I just yield to him, whatever's going on as he's leading out, I just feel him connecting with me. I sometimes I, the song could be off key. You could, you could hear worship leaders sometimes singing the words that aren't on the screen. That could distract us, right? We could go, oh my goodness, what are we going to do now? They sang the wrong line. But if you postured your heart already and you're just worshiping, you just keep rolling and you just keep singing out to God and he keeps speaking to you. So I encourage you to do that in the times of worship with song and in the times right now when we're going to get into the word. Invite the word to speak to you. Invite God to speak to you through the word this morning. I want to pick up from where Pastor Morrow took us last week. Pastor Morrow was bringing a message about the context from Mark chapter 4 and talking about being in the storm. And if you were cued into that and the Holy Spirit was teaching you, pressing that message deeper in your heart this past week, you heard some of the words in the song this morning about a storm. We're going to keep worshiping him in the midst of the storm. And I want to pick back up there because Morrow had a lot of, we had a lot of fun with him, didn't we? Even when it was embarrassing as he kissed me on both cheeks, but that, that was his love and I received that love. He's a great brother. But we had a lot of fun and he brought us some great truths that just landed with us from this passage of Mark 4. He said, the presence of the storm does not mean that God is absent. Sometimes we think that's what the storm means. He said, you're not the only one going through a storm. Pastor Steve mentioned that again this morning. Sometimes it feels like, why am I the only one suffering and struggling? And it's not true. You can see it in the context of Mark chapter 4. Pastor Morrow said, we talk ourselves out of believing that God cares. We talk ourselves out of, he must not care. Look at what's going on in my life. In fact, I think God's fallen asleep in the back of my boat. We talk ourselves into thinking that's true. And then we respond and blame God for the storm. God, why are you doing this to me? And it landed with me when Pastor Morrow said, God does not cast out anything that he has created. And we hear that when Jesus cast out that storm and just commanded it to be silent. So we know the storm was not God's doing. So I come in the context of Mark chapter 4 and invite you to open there if you haven't yet because I want us to go there and then lean into chapter 5 because I'll just start to touch on it and I want us to go into the next step and with the context to ask you this this morning, all of us here this morning, how well do you know Jesus? Don't answer it loud. I'm not asking how long you've been in, in a relationship with him of how many years has it been. I'm asking you, how well do you know Jesus? Would you recognize him if he walked by you on the street today? 
And again, you're already starting to think, well, he'd be wearing a gown, and you know, not all, that's not part of our culture, and of course I'd wreck it. No, no, no. If the Spirit of Christ were to walk past you, would you recognize him? Because think back to, yes, the times when Jesus walked on this planet, and he did, and the Jews didn't recognize the authority and the presence of God on him. The Jews said, this is just an ordinary guy. We know, he's Joseph's son. Like He's nobody of value or importance. They didn't recognize who he was. Many times, Jesus walked right through a crowd, and he was unrecognized. Like the people were so worked up by the thing he had just said, and yet he was able to just walk away from them. What does that tell you about the crowd in that moment of how they are stirred up in their emotions and what they were focused on? Or after his resurrection, and yes, his appearance no doubt had changed. But even in that moment, Mary mistook Jesus to be a gardener. Was it because his appearance was so different? Or was it she trying to sort through rationally what her mind was thinking in that moment and the storm of her emotions couldn't allow her to recognize who was talking to her? Or the two who were on the road to Emmaus and Jesus came alongside and chatted with them and then they went in and had some food and, and, and after Jesus made his presence very real to them that they just weren't getting it, they said, how were our hearts not burning within us when he was talking? How do we not know it was the Lord? And it's in that context that I bring us this morning to ask you, how well do you know Jesus? Would you recognize him? Would your heart leap when you're in the presence of him? Does it leap as you're in the presence? So let's go back to Mark 4. The storm, going through the storms. And in the context that was set up, we see that where this message came to us from last Sunday, if you haven't heard it, please do go online. Go on YouTube, search Coordinating Christian Fellowship, and you can hear Pastor Morrow's message because it, it has some great content for us. But I'm going to summarize and catch us up to the next steps this morning. What we see in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. And remember what had happened during that day. Jesus had been teaching the crowds who had gathered. He had been teaching about the, the, the parable of the sower, the good soil, the bad soil. He had been teaching about what the kingdom of God is like and how the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And so he had been doing lots of teaching. And it says in verse 34, but when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything to them. So after the day of teaching, then he said, guys, let's, let's pull apart here and let, let me sit down. What questions do you have about what you just heard me say today? And I believe that they had some very intentional conversation. I believe that dialogue of him explaining everything to them would have opened their eyes and their hearts to go, Ah, oh, Jesus, we're getting what you're talking about now. We understand more of what, what you're communicating to us. I think there was some depth that they had experienced there. And Jesus had done that, taken that opportunity to prepare them because they were about to go to the other side of the lake. Every time we're walking with Jesus, it's to give us insights, revelation for what's coming next. Note that with the disciples. It's something we can learn from them, but it's applicable for our lives as well. And then the storm happens as they're in the boats and they're headed across a furious squall that rose up. 
and it says that they were nearly swamped in their boats. The water was coming in, and we read, and Pastor Moro highlighted that Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat. You know this one. What does that tell you about Jesus? What stirs in your mind as you think about, does it, does it make you think that he's not very caring and he's, and he's just oblivious to everything that's going on around and affecting everybody else? Well, you got the wrong approach. What does it tell you about Jesus? I see that he had incredible peace and confidence in whatever was going to happen next in life his father was in control of. He could rest so peacefully in the storm knowing that whatever the father was going to prompt him to do, that the father had this. I see a real peace settling in him in that way. And, and I see that he had a faith that God would come through. How do I know this? Because this isn't the only time Jesus was at peace when he was faced with an impossible situation. Think of when Jesus stood before the crowd of 5, 10 25,000 with the loaves and fishes, and he's like, oh, Father, there's a whole bunch of hungry people here. If you don't do so, no, that wasn't his prayer. He had confidence in the Father. This wasn't his first situation, his first storm. But what I question in here is why were the disciples stirred? It makes me wonder, did they really know Jesus? They just spent the day with him again. They just spent... Time with him unpacking and explaining stuff. And yet, in the moment of the storm, they responded with fear. And they they were terrified. And, Jesus, are you going to let us drown? Like, you can hear some of the angst in their words, the panic that they had. And I don't come at this text this morning blaming the disciples. I come at it in the context of asking us, how well do we know Jesus? How would we have responded if we were in the boat and Jesus was asleep? I don't criticize the disciples because I remember back to a time like this for myself. I remember a canoe trip up in Algonquin Park. I was 16. There was 14 of us plus three leaders. And we were in Lake Opiongo, if you know that lake up in Algonquin. It's, one of, it's the biggest lake in the park. And the times the wind gets up and the wind can rustle up the waves. And these waves were two and a half to three feet high. There were white caps coming. How do I remember that? Because it's still vivid in my memory as we paddle along, I was in the stern of our canoe. And as we'd go over the waves, my partner was up in the air before she came down. And we cried. that's how I knew, remember, how big the waves were. And as we set out across this lake with our leaders leading us and a group of teenagers, water began to come inside the canoe. And some of us were two in a canoe, some of us were three in a canoe. We had all our gear, so the water level wasn't that far from the tumble home, from the... Uh, Gunwales coming over the side. And very soon we got separated by the winds. And it pushed some four canoes back and three of us kept forging on and up and over the waves and the water kept coming in. And it looked like to us, we couldn't quite tell, but it looked like some canoes had swamped. And this was mid to later June. So ice had been out for a month, month and a half. It was still really cold. And as we did, we landed at the shore, the three canoes, and we kind of converged together. And we said, did you see that? What happened to them? Do you know if they're okay? And nobody really knew. We just all saw what we thought was going on. In that moment, I didn't respond with my faith and say, guys, (laughs) we got this. Let's just turn and tell the storm to calm down. In that moment, I looked to the leader and say, what do we do? He was the leader who said, let's pray. And so we prayed. And then we 
put a plan together and left some of the team there and three of us got in and paddled as fast as we could to the portage store to send help for the rest of the crew. Thankfully, the rest of the crew was okay. Two of them were experiencing hypothermia. They already had wet clothes off and fire started and sleeping bags. And so thankfully, we came through it. But I remember thinking about it later on when I read this passage and thought, huh, did we do the right thing? Was Jesus with us and asleep and we should have just laid down on the beach with him? Pastor Morrow challenged me to think about how well do I know Jesus? Do I stop and ask him only when the days are sunny and bright? Or do I ask him in the midst of the storm and say, Lord, what are you saying that we should do right now? Where are you at in your relationship with Jesus? Are you at an elementary age level? And you just look at Jesus to be uh, just a friendly one who could play games with you. Are you in an adolescent level of faith with Jesus? Where if it's convenient, you call on him, you hope he doesn't cramp your style. <laughs> Are you at an adult level where you're like, Jesus, I got this, I can handle, we've been through storms, you sit this one out, I can hang. <laughs> or are you maturing and growing in a way where you humble yourself and say, Lord, I want to walk through these storms with you, not alone. I want you to lead me. So if I am to lay down and sleep, then I can trust that, Father, you've got this. And I'll know you will give me the direction of what to do. Because picture that moment for a second. And when the disciples were there and they were panicked and Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat. And if they had, had recognized, wait a second, he just taught us today about what the kingdom of God is like. He taught us about faith like a mustard seed. Guys, maybe we should do what he's doing. Can you picture what would happen? You know, they, they lay down next to Jesus, and they're kind of watching, and the water's coming over, and they're feeling it. Can you picture Peter? Hey, Andrew, check your Fitbit. You know, what's your heart rate at right now? You know, it's like, what would the conversation have been like? But I do believe if they had walked with Jesus, there would be peace if the Father said, guys, just lay down. I've got this one. Because we read in the Amplified Version that when Jesus rebuked the waves, the waves simply gave up. The waves were just tired and they stopped blowing, the wind stopped blowing. You see, when the storms come and they recognize they can't not affect the faith of one trusting in God, I believe the storms will give up. The storms will dissipate. They're going to look terrifying, absolutely. But what we recognize is when we're with Jesus, it's better to be in the boat with Jesus than in the storm alone. We see a whole fresh perspective here. So let me move us from this point to the very last verse in chapter 4, because this is my concern. After Jesus rebuked the storm, it says the disciples were terrified and asked each other, Who is this guy? Even the wind and waves obey him. And I thought many times reading this verse that it was simply saying, man, he's more than we thought he was. So I looked at other translations. I investigated farther. But each one includes this word terrified or very afraid. So there was some fear there. They they didn't know Jesus to the full extent that peace would settle in their hearts in that moment. And that's what I'm calling us to. How well do we know Jesus this morning? So into chapter 5, we come into chapter 5, and yes, it's on the other side of the lake. 
So this is maybe part two of Pastor Mauro's message. But it brings us to the introduction of the man who was possessed and oppressed by evil spirits. So much so that an incredible transformation happened in this man as you read through the story and the account of his life. What we discover in the opening verses is that he had many spirits that were tormenting him. This man lived in the tombs. He lived in the cemetery. That was his home base, day in and day out. No one could contain the anger and the the fierceness of this man. We read the verses that chains could not hold him. He'd break out of chains because just the presence of evil stirring in him and agitating The ironclad couldn't hold his his feet together. He would break apart anything that was put on him. No one could subdue him, is what we read in Mark's account. Night and day he cried out and he cut himself, cut himself, trying to deal with the pain and the torment. Some of you know what that battle of torment is in your mind and And have felt that way or even succumbed to that. Of just trying to deal with the pain. So you identify with some of the torment this man was going through. Then we come to verse 6. Look at verse 6. When he saw Jesus, when the man saw Jesus from a distance. So he saw him way off. When he saw him from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. Something tells me this man or the evil spirits and or a combination of the two identified who was Jesus. They knew who Jesus was. There was no doubt in their mind. Because they ran to Jesus and immediately submitted. They knew Jesus' power and authority. The, the man and the evil spirits submitted and belt, knelt down and, and they begged, pleaded with Jesus for mercy. Said, please don't torture us. There's a recognition here in the spiritual realm of the evil spirits recognizing the authority and presence of the Son of God. Are you catching that? I'm going to take us to verse 8, because verse 8, Mark says, Jesus called out to him and said, come out of this man, you evil spirit. Jesus made a command very clear. What we see the man did in verse 7 is he shouted at the top of his voice. Now, I'm not going to go to the top of my voice. But he said, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. The polite versions say, I implore you not to torture us. But you could see the the intensity of the, the evil spirits responding. Swear to us, Jesus, that... Swear by God. Like, that's a pretty strong statement. They knew the power and authority of Jesus and what Jesus was capable of. So let's look at verse 9 now. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. There's a real recognition here that the evil spirits were aware of Jesus' presence, who he represented, who was backing him, God the Father. He was very aware. Do we know Jesus to this extent? (laughs) Do we know what Jesus represents? 
having invited Jesus Christ into our lives, do we recognize the Spirit of Christ alive in us? The recording of events continues on. That there was a large herd of pigs nearby. Mark tells us there was close to 2,000, about 2,000 pigs. And the demons begged Jesus to go into them and recognize Jesus gave permission. Sometimes we get lost in the event, right? Because Jesus gave permission for these, for these evil spirits to go and evade this herd of pigs, 2,000 pigs. And we sometimes get lost in the moment because we read that the pigs, all of a sudden filled with these evil spirits, ran and ran down the steep embankment and were drowned in the water. And some of us think, oh, that's just a waste of good pork, isn't it? And we get lost in what's happening in the physical, but what was happening in the spiritual. Recognize this. The evil spirits were begging again and again for Jesus not to cast them. They didn't know what their, their eternal outcome was going to be. They begged and pleaded with him, and he gave permission to recognize who Jesus is. He is the one who has authority and control. He's the one who God has given you the opportunity to invite to be your Lord and Savior, to reside and live within you. Let's look to verse 14. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported to the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Hmm. So interesting. The people from the nearby towns came because they heard, 2,000 pigs? Do pigs float when they get drowned? Or do they sink? Or whose pigs were they? And oh my goodness, what's going on? Like, we got to go and check out what's happening out here. But when they came, they saw Jesus. They saw the man who had been tormented and possessed, who they knew was the crazy old guy who lived in the cemetery. The guy who cuts, oh, he's just crazy. Just leave him, just ignore him, turn away and just walk the other direction. And that's, that's how they knew him to be. And here the two of them are sitting there. That man who was tormented day in and day out, it says day in and day out he cried out, was sitting in his right mind with Jesus. And the people responded, we're Afraid. Why were they afraid? My only conclusion is because they didn't understand Jesus. They didn't know him. They couldn't rationally figure this out in their minds and say, it must be a living God who's intervening and walking on the earth. They were like, no, it can't be that because that doesn't work out in our formula. So that's going to turn our world upside down. They were afraid of the working and presence of God that was going on. So as I put these two events and stories together, we've got the disciples experiencing the boat and the calming of the storm, and they were terrified because they didn't fully understand. We've got the townspeople coming out, and they were more content to just let life go on as normal, let this evil spirits torment this guy, than they were comfortable in understanding that God could actually show up and deliver and transform somebody and set them free. Who does this leave in the story? It leaves the man who had his life transformed. It leaves him and, and for us to press in and say, so what was, what was the outcome of his life? Verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with Jesus. I guess so, right? Jesus did not let him, but said to him, 
Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. The Decapolis, you can read a little cross footnote there, means the ten cities. So the man no doubt went home and told his family, hey, I'm back. And they, you can picture the family going, wait a second. You know, he had a legion of angels. Do we trust him? But I believe his transformation was so evident, so radiating that people believed, his family believed. Then he couldn't stay with his family. They'd say, well, where are you going now? He's like, I got to go tell everybody else what God has just transformed in my life. And he went to 10 different cities sharing this. And how do we know that the transformation was real? How do we know that the transformation was evident? Because it says, Mark records, the people were amazed at what God had done in his life because they had seen how, what evil had done in his life. This man knew Jesus. <laughs> this man pursued him. How well, friends, do you know Jesus? Yeah, I'm pushing the envelope this morning because I don't want us going out of here knowing Jesus as just a name and a song. I don't want us walking day in and day out of thinking of Jesus as just a comforting part of the Trinity or something in heaven and, you know, it's Jesus, you know? I don't want us even treating him flippantly that when the enemy tries to tempt us into just cursing and letting our emotions out verbally that we use his name in vain. I'm pushing the envelope this morning because I really want to know how well do you know Jesus? My encouragement is that we would take the time that we've been given by God, the days, the hours, the months, the years, we would take the time that we've been given by God and we would really get to know Jesus. We would spend time with him. Spend time with the Father through the Spirit of Jesus Christ, listening to the Holy Spirit to speak and lead and guide our lives. Because I know I'm aware, I'm not possessed by evil, but I know that the enemy comes and tries to oppress me, intimidate me. Paul tells us to be aware of the schemes of the enemy. The enemy is out to steal, kill, and destroy, right? So I wake up with that knowledge. Sometimes the intimidation of the enemy tries to wake me up and stir me out of peace immediately. It was a, it was a situation this morning. I believe because the enemy knew what I was preparing to tell all of you. And so the first thought that landed in my mind as I woke up was not a pleasant thought. It was a, it was a, a thought to try and intimidate me and, and cause fear. And I, was, and I experienced it yesterday morning, sorry to confess to you. But in the moment, I was just like, oh, why? Wait, whoa, wait a second. <laughs> this is a storm. <laughs> Here we go. And I actually literally this morning said, do, do I lay down and sleep again? Or, or do we get up and we muzzle this storm, Lord? Guide me. And he, God directed me to 2 Corinthians 10, where I'm taught to take every thought captive. The next step I went was to Ephesians 6 and put on the armor of God to take my stand in Jesus' name. And I watched those intimidating thoughts just disappear. It was almost like I could laugh at it. I'm like, seriously? That's what you tried to use against me a few minutes ago? But the enemy will keep coming because he wants to intimidate. He wants you to look at the waves coming into your boat. He wants you to hear the wind in your ears and let fear come in. I'm no longer a slave to fear. We sang that. 
I am a child of God. In the storm is when you're going to have to declare that truth. Not just when it's a calm day and sunny outside. It's when the intimidation and the fear and the, the finances are low and, and the, the neighbors are yelling and family is not a pleasant place to be around. That's when you need to say, oh, I'm a child of God. Father, how do you want to lead us through this storm today? So let me bring us to some application steps. Because I'm not just here to take you to the word and then to let you figure it out. Let me give you some application steps. These may be familiar ones. They may be completely new to you. If they're familiar, I encourage you just to dust them off in your life and say, hey, am I walking this out today? Is this something that I'm getting doing to get to know Jesus better? Again, they're not going to be profound, but here they are. I would encourage you to observe Jesus every day of your life. Observe him. Be the observer. Uh, so that means you're going to probably need to open up the word. The accounts of recorded about how Jesus operated and functioned. Look at the words he used. Look at the way he responded when people would ridicule him and accuse him and call him names. Did he, did he start to flex his muscle and get ready to give them a right, you know? Now he disarmed them so powerfully without lifting a fist. Observe Jesus. As you observe him, you will get to know him better. And as you talk about that with him, you will get to know him so well that actually his responses will start to come to your mind before your fleshly responses. Ask yourself, why did Jesus respond that way? <laughs> he responded with sleep in the storm because he knew his dad had it all figured out. Remind yourself, because John tells us, if you have faith in Jesus, then walk like he walked. Jesus showed us how to trust in the Father. Look at the relationship of the Father and Son. It's so beautiful. It'll draw you deeper into knowing how to walk as a child of God. Number two, take time to listen to Jesus. Listen to the Father. Speak through in the name of the Son by his Spirit to you. Take time to listen to his words. The written word. And take time to listen to the spoken words that he wants to speak into your heart. You've heard us talk about conversations with God. It's prayer, right? You're never wrong praying. Paul encourages us to pray without ceasing. <laughs> that means day in, day out, moment by moment. Keep talking with God. Because in the midst of the storm, as soon as that storm is over, it's so tempting for us just to go... Look, the sun's shining. Ah, it's easy street now. I could just lay back and relax. But there's going to be another storm. We can walk in the presence of the peace. So when the next storm comes, we still feel the peace of the presence of God radiating around us. Listen for the Holy Spirit to speak. Ask him, how did Jesus walk through a crowd that wanted to lynch him and, and, and tear him limb from limb? Ask him, about the heart leaping part of the two on the road to Emmaus. Lord Jesus, if you're in my presence here close, I want, my, I want, my, I want to feel my heart leaping because you're just in the room with me. Let me experience your presence, Lord. Then ask him about confronting evil. We see Jesus do it so confidently and rendering that evil, those evil spirits just powerless. Lord, teach me to walk in the fullness of your presence. Have you been transformed by Jesus? If you haven't, that's the place to start. 
Like this man in chapter 5, kneel down before him and say, Lord, I want you in my life. If you have been transformed by Jesus, then continue to walk out that transformation, that energetic living hope. Read 1 Peter chapter 1. We highlighted it in yesterday's celebration of life service. Read about the energetic hope that God will fill your heart with. And take time to let your relationship with God grow. Take time to let your faith grow and be increased. Do you remember the man who called out and said, oh, but Jesus, increase my faith. May it become stronger. One of the ways that can become stronger is working it out every day. <laughs> Walk it by faith. Talk it by faith. Be engaged by faith in your relationship with God. Now, as I share that and talk about it, it may sound very simple. It may even sound almost comforting on a Sunday morning. But you may be thinking and wrestling, but I, I don't have time. Actually, as soon as this service is done, we've got our day mapped out, and we've got to move to this, and then we've got to move to that, and the schedule is all planned, and, and then tomorrow is even busier. So how am I going to fit more time in with God? It's not about more time. It's about constantly with God. We did a fun little exercise. You know when you find an app on your phone or a, a capability your phone has, and we were talking around the family uh, this weekend, and it was about how much screen time have you put into your phone? Uh, Apple users, I think it's a screen time. I had to little, dig a little deeper in Android. It's called digital well-being. And it shows you on your phone how many minutes you spent on what app. Shows you how many times you picked the phone up during the day. Um, if I were to show you, it's got a little circle here on mine. It only says 22 minutes today. Interesting. I could see what I did and what, where I went. So we talked as a family, hey, hey, how much screen time have you been on today? And we heard everything from just over two hours in a day to somewhere over seven hours in the day. I'm not going to tell you which family members, all right? But very clearly, I remember when God spoke to me at a fusion, before a fusion service in this very room. I wasn't on staff here, but I had been invited to come and speak. And it was about relationship with God I was speaking on that, that, that time with fusion service was our youth and our young adults. And I said, God, how do I communicate what you want me to say to this group of young people, students that are going to be in the room? And he said, Brian, tell them that I wish they reached out and grabbed me as intensely as they reach out and grab their little device. And I remember God saying that because that was only the time of iPods and MP3 players and phones that were six times the size of this. But the Father wants us to reach out for him to spend time with him. He wants us to be able to hear him call us a child of his. He wants us to know him, to be known by him. It's a lie from the enemy that we don't have time or that you're not valuable enough. Church, I'm calling you this morning to go deeper with God, to journey in your life into deeper relationships walk closer with him. Recognize the truth and call out the enemy, saying, this is a storm and I'm not going to let it intimidate me. I am a child of God, no longer a slave.